feel a bit silly for complaining about how hot it was last week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, things are relative, all things being relative. I mean, look, we both complained about how hot it last it was last week, and granted, we were correct, it was very hot last week. It was week. fucking hot. We just hadn't yet descended into the literal, like, arsehole of Satan yet. Yeah. Like, like look, look, okay, alright, lots of people have said things in the past that perhaps on reflection they would look back on now and say, you know what, had I known then what I know now, had I become enlightened, I would not have said these things, they're wrong. Yeah. Except we weren't wrong, it was hot, it just wasn't, like, the country's literally catching on fire hot yet. It's catching on fire now? I really haven't been paying attention. Oh yeah, but portions of the south of the UK just caught fire. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was a lot. I need to... I need to do some maths conversions. Like Phoenix mentioned to me yesterday, Phoenix said London's on fire, and I was like, the tourists haven't dragged us that far back, have they? Or that far forward. Well, yeah. It also, just like, it's the hottest, like, not since 1976 has Britain been this hot. This is also the most physically active week I've had, <laughs> possibly in my life. Didn't we also have a fuel crisis in 1976? Possibly, yeah. Everything old is new again. No, this is funny, actually. I was watching Hulu the other night, and Hulu accidentally, well, not accidentally, so Hulu will automatically play something else after the thing I was done watching. And so I finished watching my shitty game show, and it started playing an episode of America's Funniest Home Videos. This is not a show I ever watch, but I was aware that Bob Saget had hosted at one point, Tom Bergeron had hosted it at another one. So Tom Bergeron is hosting. We're in the Tom Bergeron era of America's Funniest Home Videos. And it's apparently the 20th season. And they're making a big deal out of the 20th anniversary. And I'm like, okay, well, uh, all right. And they're like, hey, back when we started this show, there was uh, a, 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 a recession and politicians were engaged in tons of scandal. And I'm so glad all of that has been resolved. And that was 2009, <laughs> talking about 1989. And I didn't, oh. it took me a while to realize. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's almost like nothing's changed <laughs> ever. So I've done some like maths conversion so that Comrade will understand what's going on. The last two days have been, let, let me get it into, it, it, 40, 40 degrees Celsius, so 104 Fahrenheit. Yeah, that's hot. Which is hot when you're a country with no AC and that is designed to trap the heat in. Yeah. Uh, today, it's a leisurely 86 Fahrenheit, 30 degrees. That's that's a fucking cold refresher by comparison. That's That's the weather here today, or at least right now. Yeah. I went running yesterday. Ha! <laughs> Because we decided now is the time, during summer, mm. now is the time to start doing running, which, you know, it's been going okay. You'll lose water weight. Well, yeah. It's been going okay, like, but yesterday, hottest day since 1976. Oh, no, it's hottest day ever on record. We've never had a day that hot in the UK. It's all... And it fell on the same day that we were scheduled for our next run. So I did that. This week has been running and... Instances of having two wrestling matches in one day, one of which was a 25-minute brawl around an inflatable park, which is possibly the weirdest thing I've done in wrestling. I did chokeslam someone into a ball pole, so I'm living the dream there. Consequently, or incidentally, I have never been so bruised after a show. It was literally the softest venue I've ever been in. <laughs> And yet, from my elbow to my wrist, my entire forearm is grey with bruises. And from the from my ankle to my knee, my shin is grey from bruises. Like, it doesn't help that you do a brawl like that and it's a free-for-all. If you get hit wherever you are, you're going to have to sell it. You know, you've got to sell the offence. I just happened to get hit a lot while I was near none of the inflatables. <sighs> so while everyone else was doing big spots on the bouncy houses, I was landing on concrete. I feel like I got the spirit of the match wrong. <laughs> but 
I did win two matches in one day because yeah. I won the 14 person seven aside brawl plus my match with Axel Strife, both ending with massive planet crackers. Also, the ring had no give. It was the least amount of give a ring has ever had in the bounciest venue I've ever been in. I am fucking exhausted, I don't mind telling you. I have been running and I have been wrestling to a degree I've not done before. Plus a little child walked up to me after the show and said, are you a boy or a girl? Which in the commander outfit has never happened. Aww. Everyone assumes guy. But I think because the hips came in, plus I use Stephanie a lot more now, now it's added this layer of confusion. So this little, it was kind of sweet, really. This little kid just said, excuse me, are you a boy or a girl? And I tried to explain, you know, like I'm non-binary, which is, you know, different. And then the mum, the kid's mum very helpfully said, it means both. Uh, which, of course, isn't strictly true, but she was trying. Yeah. And then bad. she told Fee, yeah. like, after I'd gone, like, I've seen a non-binary person on TV the other day. So it was very sweet. We're, we're making progress. Yeah. Even if people aren't 100% there, we're getting there. Their heart is in the right place, and I appreciate that. Yeah. It's this reminder that, like, whatever the politicians are trying to tell you, like, most, like, no matter how much they're trying to make it look like a hot button issue to distract from all the shit they've done to us. Most people don't care, for good or real, because they also don't care about the shit we have to go through True. as trans people, but they also don't care enough to want us gone or to think that we should be dealing with that shit. I had some people like telling me, like, oh, you know, you're not going to win any hearts and minds on Twitter. You need to go to the old folks' home. But you know what? Old women, 99% of my interactions with old women in the street have been them complimenting my boots. I don't know why, what it is about the boots that appeal to, like, the over-60s, but they love my boots. Oh, 100%. Old people, like, don't get g given enough credit for, like, how how a lot of them will just be like, hey, life's too short, you do what's going to make you happy. Yeah. Like, there are some awful fucking old people out there. Oh, yeah, there are. There are some really entrenched ones. Yes, and they're the loudest ones. Yeah, of course they are. But, yeah, like, this this weekend was just a nice reminder to me that, like, most people don't care. Like, this was a family show, and, and like, at an inflatable park, there were a lot of kids, and no one fucking gave out. Yeah. No one actually thought it was an issue that I was there near the children, grooming them. Like, no one fucking cared about any of that shit. Anyway, it was a nice interaction on a day... The thirstiest day of my life. There was a slushy machine and, and, and I wanted it, but we had to go and I was so thirsty. I'm very sorry you didn't get slushy. You deserve it. I tell you what, oh. wrestling two matches in the span of one show, one of which again was a 25 minute brawl, on a really hot summer day in a full spandex bodysuit, including luchador head covering mask is not an activity I would recommend. Well, no, because that's your job. Yes, exactly. Don't go chomping on my flavour, listeners. Don't you go fucking copying me. Get your own outfit. <laughs> Pricks. Ah. Right. It's, it's Pogquisition. It's Video Game Town. It, that's why we're here. Welcome to Video Game Town. Population... Us, I guess. Three of us. Three of us are forced to live here. Three sad individuals. The rest of you are all tourists to Video Game Town. We we moved in as permanent residents. Right? We've gentrified the place. Built a coffee shop. <laughs> so who's, who's played a video game this week? Um, I, I have played a video game. <gasps> yeah? Yeah. Is it is it the one I've been playing, maybe? Yeah, 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 we've both played this. Uh Power Wash Simulator? Yeah, yeah, I I I sure have been playing this. I have been playing a lot of this. I have about, I think, four more levels to complete in the career mode. Mm. I am really, really... And it's it's uh, it's hefty. There's 18 stages in the career. And they are not uh, they are not quick stages by any means. No, no. I mean, some of them are. Like about about uh, a little less than... A little more than a third of them, I think, are, are vehicles. And those yeah. tend to be pretty quick. Here's, here's a quick, like, dirt bike to wash all the dirt off. Yeah. 
The Penny Farthing yeah. is another quick one. And then two-thirds of it is like, hey, here's an entire children's playground. Go! Here, I hope I hope you have nothing to do for the next two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I- it's very good. It's very simple. I, I like the control. Um, the, you know, stand still and aim works really well. You you press up on the directional pad on a controller and you'll become stationary and then your look just looks within range and then moves the camera when it reaches the edge of the frame. Uh, that works pretty well to help you get into all the little nooks and crannies. Uh, but yeah, you're just, you're presented with an object to clean. You have a pressure washer. It's not a power washer. It's a pressure washer, and they actually have to correct themselves in-game at one point. Like, mm-hmm. a character sends you a message saying, hey, you know, just for, like, you know, legal purposes, false advertising, you might want to change your business name because it's <laughs> not a power washer. I think it's it, – there's a few uh, times where figuring out the thing that you haven't cleaned to finish the level is frustrating – it gives you some tools for that. Yeah, you've got the ability to make anything that hasn't been cleaned yet fl- uh, flash orange for a couple of seconds, but particularly in some of the bigger levels, if you're not looking at the exact tiny spot, you might not notice it. There's another, and there's another option. If you go into the uh, tablet menu yes, uh, and look at the individual items, you can select um, the category of item and any in that category that haven't been cleaned will also flash. However, this is a very kind of the way it flashes it, it because of how shiny everything becomes when you clean it. Yes. It can be difficult to make out the things that are having this sort of light pulsing glow or flash to them that they add on there. I think I would have preferred if they added a a tint of some kind to that. The firehouse, just for anybody listening, if you're struggling on the firehouse and you can't figure out why you've got two fucking office walls that you can't clean, yeah, they're on the roof, they're tiny and (laughs) underneath, okay? That's where they are. I'm not the only person who had this problem, but if you haven't bothered to Google it yet, that's the solution. It's up there. Um, but also if, uh, you don't wind up moving the platform after you go back into the level to do that, you'll get the achievement for not having used the platform. So, uh, hills and valleys. Yeah, it's good. I, the other thing that I think, I, I don't know, I'm a little, the thing that really disappointed me, if I'm going to be honest at the end of the day, is that we have all fantasized about using a DeWalt DCP W550P1. Oh, as a teenager, I would have a poster of that on my wall. Exactly. And would dream of either like using it or marrying it. So the fact that they have not worked out licensing with pressure washer uh, manufacturers to get real pressure washers in here, it's, it's a huge oversight in my book. Very, very disappointed in that. Definitely, definitely a game ruiner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, game's great. Love it. Having a ton of fun. It, it's on Game Pass, which is why I'm playing it. Yeah. Um, I, I probably would not, like many of these Sims, I probably would not have bought it. But of these Sim types, it has enough variance and stuff to do. It provides enough tools to keep it from being frustrating. The range of equipment isn't that broad at the end of the day. Um, you have different nozzle options that have different widths and therefore apply also different amounts of pressure. You have extensions to give you better reach with them. Uh, and then there's a soap canister that you can use in conjunction with fluid soaps that I have used. I, I've never really found it very useful. <laughs> it's not terribly useful. If you have a lot of heavy grime in a like very large area that you can get close to um it, you're supplied with a bunch of liquid cleaner for the bonus train level which uh, have you done the train level no not yet i'm still working through it because i've been playing some other stuff alongside it but i have heard that the train level exists well it's it's it, you can do it now it, it's unlocked from the start it's one of the special ones oh okay yeah i've just been sticking with the campaign yeah uh-huh um and in the train one gives you a 
bunch of metal cleaning because it's mostly metal, and I used a bunch of that there to cover big surface area stuff. But on the whole, it doesn't feel any faster than using just the yellow nozzle to get everything done. Yeah. Sometimes, if I'm real up close, I will switch to a wider nozzle because I know I'm going to get enough pressure to get any of the heavy stuff. But I'll occasionally use green, like, for, uh, for, for wide, flat areas like the roofs. I'll sometimes use white for the floor just to get, like, the basics of it done and then anything else I'll scrub up. But, like, generally yellow and green is where I stick to. Mm-hmm. I do like the, um, the ultra nozzle. Oh, the pinpoint The one. pinpoint that spins around. Yes, yes. That's it. That's fun to use, even though it's not super practical. But, um, I mean, it's necessary in, in, in certain things, like when you're dealing with uh, um, very tightly packed in components, like on the motorcycle and sidecar uh, level. Yeah. Uh, you really got to get in there. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's very fun. There's also... Like, a bunch of weird little stories. Like, a bunch of small stories yeah. going on. As you're cleaning these things, you'll get text messages from the client that will give you some sort of details about what's going on in the surrounding community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am really wondering about this community. Like, how did everything get this filthy? Like, some of this stuff is on the underside of uh, the, like the first house you do has a backyard uh, area and and there's a, a swing set chair with a big canopy over it and it is all smoke like it's all black underneath and I'm wondering what the fuck happened here well, like there's a children's playground early on that like the the guy who owns it is like oh I guess it's just like kids leaving like dead skin cells or whatever on the park and I'm like no, that's clearly not what's happening. It looks like a fire happened. And that, like, I'm trying to wash off the sooty remains. The 12th level, which I won't get into, does offer a specific explanation for why that one is so filthy. And that may help explain some of the other ones. But it's weird. It is Nothing should be this disgusting ever. Deeply satisfying to clean. Uh, I, uh, yeah. If, if you like looking at a thing and gradual progress, we've talked about this with Lawn Mowing Simulator. Uh, I enjoy this more because the freedom of movement is more enjoyable to me than riding around in a vehicle. Yeah, and there's, there's, there's a few of the other things that I personally prefer about this over Lawn Mower Simulator. Perhaps most notably that things that in Lawn Mower Simulator you would be penalized for going outside the lines, mm. this generally doesn't, uh, at least from what I've seen so far. Let's say you're cleaning a back garden and there's, uh, like, you know, paving you need to power wash and there's flowers and grass next to it. You can accidentally hit the grass and the flowers and it doesn't damage them, which is nice. I was actually legitimately surprised that they didn't involve any sort of damage system for things. Honestly, so was I, but I kind of like it. It's all the better for it, yeah. Yeah, I I appreciate just being able to not stress and get on with satisfying myself while I make things clean. On the other side of that equation, I would like to point out that maybe suggesting that one might power wash a propane tank attached to a barbecue (laughs) grill, not the best idea. I mean, I've heard smarter ideas, but I mean, I'm not an expert power washer. What do I know? (laughs) Maybe, maybe that is how the pros do it. Uh, Well, yeah, uh, yes. Uh, Yes, it, it is. They probably would have made sure it was drained and not connected to a grill, but okay. Yeah, it's 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 real fun. Um, yeah, my my main suggestion going into this that I would give people a heads up is the levels are longer than you anticipate right from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not an exaggeration when Comrade says like you might be looking at two oh, yeah. two plus hours for a single level. Uh, you can just like quit out, close the game, come back in, and all of your progress is a hundred percent where it was. You don't have to do it in one sitting, and you can even jump between missions. And it will save your progress individually in any of them. The game doesn't make that terribly clear, which meant that, like, the first couple of times I had, like, a multiple-hour level, I got a little anxious about it. But, yeah, you can just, like, quit and come back later, and that's totally fine. Um, Yeah, it is a real nice, satisfying little game. Um, Well worth checking out. It's on Game Pass. Go give it a look. 
Yeah. Uh, what have you been playing this week, Steph? Me? Oh. Yeah. I've played a game. Yeah? Just one, I think. Of, like, I can't remember playing any others today, uh, this week. But on the on the old Steam Deck, I downloaded Metal Gear Solid Five. Oh yeah, I've been replaying that for the first time in a long time. The 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 Phantom the Phantom Pain the Phantom Pain, the best Metal Gear Solid game I couldn't finish. Wow, the Metal Gear Solid game that they couldn't finish because no. the <laughs> ending is a is a fucking JPEG that's in the extra extra uh, details. That's true. That's true. For the Phantom Pain, the game that that makes the bold statement that war is hell. Traumatic, uh, inhumane, uh, carries with it a great loss of life, um, senseless loss of life. But also, what if it was really funny? <laughs> what if what if you could steal a goat and it got sucked up by a balloon? Yeah. What if there was piss and shit everywhere? What if you could make a horse poo on command? And what if people kept pissing themselves? Wouldn't that be funny? What if in the very... What if in the same scene as you watch innocent civilians get gunned down in a hospital and you're surrounded by bleeding corpses, the camera also zoomed in to show a man's ass behind his patient's mark? What if... So what you're saying is it's totally consistent. It's very consistent <laughs> with the tone of the series. And itself. And itself. And sometimes more starkly in this one than others. Um, the same was true in Ground Zeroes, where it still tries to keep up all the meta humour and the silliness, but the bits that are serious have now taken such a serious turn yeah. that it comes across way more tastelessly at times. You know, when, when we're talking about very genuine, like, abuse that gets talked about, like, you know, like, human rights abuses to more, like, personal, physical, and even sexual abuse. And then, you know... Kojima starts doing like pervy ass shots. Yeah, but Steph, Steph, don't you know you will come to regret your words and deeds? Oh God! Well, we talked about this last week, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, like him justifying uh, quiet being naked because she breathes through her skin, and we were all going to be deeply ashamed of ourselves. Which, you know, we've we've discussed before. Like he should have just been honest with maybe not just us, but himself as well. I don't know how much he's actually potentially kidding himself when he thinks what he's doing here is deep uh sort of deeper than more honest developers like uh, as we mentioned last week yokotara who's just like yeah i just like tits and asses like, i respect that infinitely more than i do with with some of this stuff especially when you have characters who are deeply traumatized and abused and they're being used as eye candy mm. with like vapid unsubtlety like it's so vapid. That's the thing. Like there is, I love the Metal Gear Solid series. It's very deeply stupid as a series, but it also does have some really good emotional moments. It has some very interesting takes on um, like alternate history and stuff. Um, and I've learned a lot from the games. Sometimes incorrectly, because not all of the information is factual, such as most of the things the first Metal Gear Solid says about genetics, but. I love those games, but sometimes they do get so... They try and be serious and comical or, you know, uh, salacious at exactly the same time in the exact same scenes, and it makes everything just come off as tacky at times. And Metal Gear Solid Five, like, I've, I've long been of the opinion that it's the inverse of the other games, uh, where to me, like... The gameplay could have like some quirks that made it sort of not all that perfect. Uh, very ambitious, but I often found that sometimes it just wasn't quite what Kojima had envisioned. Sure, some systems never like like the like the camo system and the the survival yeah. systems in Metal Gear Solid Three. That's my favorite Metal Gear, but that stuff's just sort of there. Well, yeah, between having to switch camos through different menus and having to constantly fix injuries through yeah. subsequent menus, like it's very ponderous. And that's the thing is, a lot of Metal Gear games have a lot of ponderousness to them. Whereas I love the story and I'm completely engrossed in it. Right. Whereas with Metal Gear Solid Five, it's the other way around. I fucking love the gameplay in Metal Gear Solid Five. Mm -hmm. I the sheer expanse and variety, the amount of tools you're given to do a job, the amount of like 
in previous games, more and more boss fights had uh, different methods of dealing with it and lots of little hidden tricks. And they applied that to the entire game with Metal Gear Solid 5 of just little things you could do or things you might never discover, like the many hidden uses of the water pistol, which looks so useless at first, but has different like tricks that you're never told about. Just the amount of, of um, depth to each little system. But the story is so up its own ass and borderline incomprehensible at times and tries too hard to tie everything together narratively in a way where it's over-explained, laboriously so, the twists and the, all oh, that character's not really dead. Like, the amount of times that happens, it just loses all meaning to the point where it undoes the meaning of other things in previous games. Like, the impact, the narrative impact of so much of the previous series is lost, where this game is constantly trying to pull switcheroos and things. So I was kind of underwhelmed with with the story. It's not terrible, but it's just there compared to the gameplay. In concept, there are a lot of elements about it that I like. I like, in theory, the attempts to explain some of the narrative inconsistencies between the MSX Metal Gear games and Metal Gear Solid, things like that, yeah. are interesting to me. I think the execution is not great, and it is... You know, you say the gameplay is is so superior, and I couldn't possibly agree more because I love to play Metal Gear Solid Five, but I am so comfortable just putting it down at a point in a way that I never would with any of the other Metal Gear games. Yeah. I think part of that is because the other Metal Gear games are way more linear in terms of level structure. The mission structure of this lends itself to that being much easier to do as well. MGS5 is so sprawling mm -hmm. that you could potentially get burnt out on it. Yep. But also you could just have your fill. Because like you said, you could very happily put it down instead of just getting sick of it. Because there's so much you can just be like, I've had enough of this now and move on. That's very much the experience I had with it. Like I ended up just going and watching like the end of the story online and then going, I don't know, I really know why I bothered with that. But uh, yeah, I got a bit burnt out on the gameplay, but I didn't mind walking away from it. Yeah, yeah. And because of, of the nature of the game, because it's sort of very open, there's a lot to do and lots of little missions you can do and waste time with, it's one of these games that are really benefiting on a second playthrough from a portable format now that I'm playing it on the Steam Deck. Mm. It makes a lot of it feel more digestible. Even if I'm spending all day playing it, it just feels like less of a commitment, even if I fully committed the day to it. Um, so that's been very good. It's still like, amazingly ambitious in terms of gameplay the detail is i mean it borders on compulsive on pathological to the point where i sometimes wonder like not only how much labor must have gone into this but how much money mm -hmm. like i was never surprised as insulting as it was and insultingly and pathetically as konami did it from a from from a business standpoint, I do. I'm not surprised that Kojima and Konami parted ways. It makes financial sense to have problems with this production. Yeah. Yes. Uh, from the length of time it took to just the sheer expense of the game, and you know Kojima's ambitions run amok, and when he's not given fetters, he will put point. He will put in a command to have a horse shit whenever you want it to adds nothing it took time and resources and money to do and the amount of licensed music like oh, you know god yeah the game's set in 1984 you've got foreigner you've got david bowie uh you've got hot uh not hot gossip i was thinking of just i've been obsessed with uh, i gave my heart to a starship trooper um but yeah, just the sheer amount of uh, Tears for Fears, the amount of licensed music that's in it, like, this was an expensive fucking game. Yeah. I don't blame them trying to farm out uh, Metal Gear Survive out of it, because anything you can do to recoup some money on 
that sunk cost, I can understand. Yeah, and I think it made money, but in an industry that isn't satisfied with sales of far less expensive games. Yeah. And for a company like Konami that seems to hate producing and publishing games to begin with, it isn't a surprise they parted ways, because, yeah, Kojima is a very, very expensive man. He just is. Just, just an incredibly expensive man, and it's evident like out of every pore of this game's being it is evident uh just how expensive he is it led to an excellent game Mm -hmm. you know i i love the basically kidnapping soldiers and having them join your army building a little base and developing all it's it's stuff that i can find really laborious in other games but in this like the constant up- unlocking of new weapons and new gadgets uh, to play with, I, I find really compelling. Um, I love just kidnapping um, enemy soldiers and winning them over so that they upgrade my facilities so that I can get new guns and new like inflatable characters to act as decoys and rocket punches and all sorts of just cool and stupid things to play with. Well, and a big part of like you are getting rewarded for doing something that is actually fun it's not being rewarded for doing something that you're tedious and only doing to get the reward you would be doing this anyway so it's just it's delight on delight yeah absolutely and the flexibility you have as a player like sometimes there are things where the requirements are more strict but for the most part it's like do you want to be non-lethal or lethal which is a you know a fairly obvious choice but then it's like how do you want to do those things do you want to snipe do you want to run in all guns blazing do you want to like sneak through knifing people do you want to interrogate people uh do you want to fulton people hide the bodies leave them out like it's just you can do so much just like a little shitty uh, outpost in between big fortresses you could approach that half a dozen ways it really is uh, an achievement of a game. I think in terms of, of mechanics and the success of those mechanics, it really is historic. I think Metal Gear Solid V is, is a pretty historic game as, as far as just what, you, what one single game accomplished. That said, it does have its ponderousness, like the constant waiting between missions in the helicopter to travel in real Mm -hmm. time where you go and land and doing that over and over like just seeing the same in and out animations for the helicopter is fucking it's that is annoying if you end up without a vehicle having to travel long spaces of fucking nothing to get to gameplay is a real pain in the ass so things like that like do get in the way but for the most part the game is a lot of fun and when it's at its best it's down it's still to this day a downright astonishing game so yeah i i've been digging it it's especially lately where it's so hot and i don't want to do anything it's helped me get through the week to just sort of focus on that because you can just lose so much time to it you can get so absorbed in in what you're doing with it so yeah still really impressed with it it's the most fun you can have being a war criminal. I don't know. We should talk to Henry Kissinger about that. Because... <laughs> <sighs> oh, I set some up. He knocks them out of the park. Oh, but has anyone else been playing things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, I'm going to step off video games for a moment. Oh, thank God. Because I, I picked up a really good card game Ooh. this past week. And uh, Lynn and I have been Lynn and I have been trying for a while to find more two-player games. We often will end the evening playing around a cribbage, uh, which is you know we both really enjoy that. But it's nice to mix it up and have some other things. We just don't have a lot of two-player games, and so I found a card game called Jekyll versus Hyde. Ooh. This is a two-player trick-taking card game. With asynchronous goals, you have a track, and on one side of the track is Jekyll, and the other side of the track is Hyde, and each player assumes one of those roles. Each hand, and there are three hands in a game, you have ten tricks that are are played, and there's a little card swapping and so forth. There's three suits uh, with cards numbered one to seven, and uh, then a fourth suit of potion cards that function a bit like wild cards, but have some also, some other effects as well. 
And the way it works is the player who is playing as Jekyll is trying to prevent progression down the track toward Hyde. And Hyde is trying to get progression down the track. But the way progression is calculated is on the basis of subtracting who the least number of tricks won from the most number of tricks won in a round. So Jekyll is trying to achieve balance to prevent progression down the track. They are trying to make sure that an equal number of tricks are won in each hand. Oh, so on the other side, you don't necessarily have to win all the tricks or lose all the tricks, but you've got to commit to one of those directions and try and swing that way. Exactly. Right. And then you have these wild cards, the potions. There are four of them, I think, in the deck, numbered uh, two through five. And uh, they are pluses, so they'll beat anything that they match. And they can be used in a couple of different ways. They can be used in response to another player playing a, uh, a leading a card, or they can be led with. Now, when they're played in response... They have an effect that matches the color that they're played against. When they're played at a lead, the player who plays them determines the color. And this is significant because each of the different colors has a different effect. Purples will allow the winner of this trick to take an additional trick from their opponent's score pile, thus adjusting the balance. Mm. Green forces players to swap two cards from their hands. Again, allowing the player playing Jekyll to try and balance out the hands better or imbalance them as Hyde. The last one changes the suit rankings. Because the way tricks are resolved, if the colors match, you go by their value. If they don't match, they go by the value of the suit, which is determined by the order in which suited cards are played. I know it sounds complicated, but basically what it means is what wins in any given hand can constantly change mm. and, and can be made to change by the players. It is brilliant. Very, very basic. A full game takes only about half an hour to play, and it is... So good from either end strategically. Uh, I love it. Absolutely love it. Really, it's not expensive. I think I got it on sale for like 10 bucks, but I, I can't imagine it's more than 25 and it would be worth every penny if you're looking for a good two-player card game. It is excellent. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Thank you. Hooray. My pleasure. I, I'm, I'm always up for more two-player card games uh, or board games and whatnot. Yep. Uh, in terms of stuff I've been playing, I finished off The Quarry. Okay. Which, you've talked about it the other week, is that super massive horror game. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll start with the things I like, which is most of it. I think that generally the characters are really interesting. Their pre-existing interactions set up for some really interesting choices. I very much like what they did with the monster lore with werewolves and... The rules they have around how they work created interesting challenges and opportunities if you could work out how they work early enough. Like, there are some really cool things you can do by having worked out what the gimmick is. I generally thought the story was, like, pretty satisfying. Good cast of characters, length felt about right. The problem I have, and I don't know how much to blame this on Supermassive and how much to blame this on Google... It sure feels like a game that ran out of money and had to finish it, have an ending real fucking fast, which makes sense considering it was meant to be a Stadia exclusive and then Google decided they weren't going to fund Stadia games anymore and this game had to go find another publisher at the, ninth, uh, the 11th hour. The ending, here are my two biggest problems. One, stuff that in any other supermassive game would be animated cutscenes of how certain characters' plotlines ended are instead just here is a CGI model of the characters and some text on screen in about two sentences that very quickly tells you what happened to them. Like a lot of plot threads that feel, it feels like there, sh there was a prologue chapter they couldn't make that was the, you watch these things come together. Like you don't get a scene where all of the surviving characters come together and go, oh, we all survived and talk, like talk through. None of that. It feels like the threads just kind of stop and are filled in with text at the end. The other problem 
And I know this because I I played through the ending chapter twice out of curiosity. This is one of the worst examples of Supermassive having a final choice in a game like this that means fucking nothing. Mm. And is presented as a huge big choice. And uh, I'm trying to work out how to talk about this in a in a relatively non-spoilery way. You're presented a choice at the end where there is like, hey, you can kill a person to maybe solve this problem. If you do it, there's a character who's fucking furious at you for understandable reasons, and that feels like relatively satisfying. If you choose not to kill this this person, she's still furious at you because, oh, I know you 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 thought about doing the bad thing from the bad from the other ending. Oh, God. You thought about it, and she goes into the exact same monologue. She goes into the same monologue with like one or two lines at the start that are like, "You almost did it. You got quite close to the end of the game before not doing it. Therefore, I'm gonna be angry at you as if you did it, rather than thankful that you didn't." And that just felt fucking insulting. Yeah. It really screamed of you, you just had to get this out the door, huh? Which is a real shame, because, like, it's literally, like, that last half a percent of the game. And I still think it's worth playing. I still had a really good time with it. But, like, it screams of we ran out, the budget was pulled out from under us, and we we just had to get it out the door. And what suffered was the last, literally the last two minutes. Mm. So that's the quarry. Generally enjoyable, but just like, just brace for the ending to be a slideshow and do the predictable thing at the end, because going against the predictable thing ain't going to get you any any different content. Uh, Steph, have you played anything else this week? I have not, actually. Normally, or certainly lately, I've been playing a lot of things um, in one week, but no, only Metal Gear Solid 5, yeah. really. Well, I've played some other things. Yeah, what have what you played, Conrad? Oh, player of many games. All right, I got a couple of couple of other uh, Game Pass things that popped up recently that I've I've checked out just a little bit. Um, uh, Monster Boy: The Dragon's Trap. Oh yeah, yeah. This is the remake of Wonder Boy Three that they had to rename Monster Boy for legal reasons. It's good. Have you played this? At all? Um, I I dipped my toe in and just didn't stick with it very long. Yeah, I played one of them. Might have been that. Yeah, I don't know if it was this one or not. If there are multiple of them, I played one of them, and I think it was on Game Pass. So maybe it was this one. Oh, well, this is this was this just came to Game Pass in the last like week and a half, two weeks. Okay, then not this one then. Um, and it's uh, this was I think published by Dot Emu, and it is Wonder Boy three. Uh, but the graphics i like the art is so good the animations are ridiculously good i always get really really hesitant when they do these full-scale remakes of um you know 8-bit video games with hand-drawn art and things like that because it can be so hit and miss and i a lot of times i don't like the style it feels fantastic it looks amazing i love it the the music is really good and and the game itself was always excellent and it kind of really goes to show how sort of timeless monster boy or wonder boy 3 is because switching to the i don't like switching to the other graphics uh you can it's one button and it's instant and that's awesome and it helps to illustrate how sort of one-to-one the play and mechanics actually are more than do anything satisfying visually because I'm immediately switching back to the other look. If you have Game Pass, I would check this game out because Wonder Boy 3 is excellent. It's a very early example of a high-quality Metroidvania. It's obviously antiquated by modern standards for them, but it's remarkable how well it holds up all these decades later for a fucking Master System title. Mm. It's very, very good. Uh, the other thing that I played just a smidgen of is Overwhelm. This is a, a sprite platformer. It's on Game Pass now also. Very minimalist color, small, tiny sprites, uh, very loose light maneuverability uh of the character uh with a heavy sort of jump 
You have a few different characters you could choose from. It's a bit of a Metroidvania, but a, also a bit Mega Man-y in that you have different stage regions and there's like a stage select screen each time you restart the game that allows you to just go to an area you've previously fought the boss in, which is nice. Mm. But it's one hit kill. Not for me, then. (laughs) And it's fair... Like, it's fair, and it may not be one hit. I I may just be how I'm remembering it, because I seem to recall being able to take a hit or two. But the screen narrows in darkness to indicate you're about to die with red real quick. You do not have much health. And uh, there's some base stats. You can upgrade them uh, during the run. I've only played a very, very little bit just to make it to the first boss of one of the, you know, a boss of one region and successfully kill it once. This game is very fucking hard. It does play very, very well. I'm looking forward to seeing people speedrun this because mm. I'm going to be very impressed with that. And, and I will probably try to play it through to completion. It, it, it's, it will turn off a lot of people on difficulty for sure. Oh, but here's the central gimmick. The thing that I totally skipped over in all of this, in most of these games... You know, you go and you fight a boss in Mega Man style and you get a big upgrade. You don't get the upgrades. The environment gets the upgrades. Huh. In the form of now you have enemies that have new behavioral traits. That's interesting. And these are beneficial to you, no. these behavioral no, traits? No, 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 no. No, I'm afraid not. Okay, so they're not upgrades. They are downgrades for you. Well, yeah, I mean, from a perspective. <laughs> yeah, like they introduce... Enemy types will now do different things. Uh, So the first boss, I killed them, I come back, and now I've got an enemy that just floated towards me, now explodes on death, or explodes at proximity in a way they didn't before. Mm -hmm. So I'm terrified of what else is coming. The visual designs are really cool, the music is uh, pretty driving and and well-suited. It's, yeah, I like it. I, I think they've done a a good thing at trying to do the thing that they wanted to do because they clearly wanted to make a very difficult, precise, uh, challenging platformer. Yeah. That sounds like a great game that will never be for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not for a lot of people, but the people who get into it are going to fucking love this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. Laura, you play anything else? Uh, That's it for the stuff I've, like, put any proper time into this week. Actually, I did have one other thing I wanted to to give a little mention to. Um, I played a demo for a game called Billy Bust Up, mm. uh, which I've been seeing all over the place on on TikTok of all things. Really interesting looking uh, indie game that's like a couple of years away from like being ready to release, but the demo is very satisfying. It is a a music rhythm game about avoiding attacks on the beat in the vein of something like your uh, Cadence of Hyrule, something like that. Um, the, I forget what the original of that was called, uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer. But it is a 3D one of these that is entirely done in in as a musical. The entire game start to finish is musical numbers that are telling the story and teaching you how to play the game and the boss fights are all set to musical themes, and the music's really fucking catchy. It it plays really solidly for an indie dev developed, like, 3D platformer. They've done a very good job of balancing the camera angle so you can see where attacks coming, like, properly as you're going. Yeah, it seems really promising. Um, The demo I played... uh, was just one of the the boss fights, um, and it took me a solid few attempts to get through i think it's a good testament to the quality of the music um in it that a song with lyrics that was playing through a boss fight where i was dying and having to restart the boss fight didn't get annoying despite having died multiple times on the boss fight so yeah i i i've not seen anyone talking about this game and it's one that i would recommend people keep an eye on because it seems really interesting yeah, should we get on to some news? Well, I do have one more game that I played. See, Ooh. I really, uh, yeah, I played a lot. Look at you playing all the games this week. I, I played a lot this week. Um, Road Redemption. Oh my god. 
Oh, it's been many years since I played Road Redemption. I briefly caught that you were streaming this the other day. I love Road Rash. And and I've actually I, I did play Road Redemption a few months back and forgot to mention it on the podcast. Uh, but I really got back into it this week. It is the it's what you remember Road Rash playing like. For God's sake, don't go play Road Rash. <laughs> no. Don't do that. If you want to have the experience that you remember playing Road Rash, play Road Redemption today. Road Redemption is very good. It's remarkably good. I I hadn't realized when it was first being promoted that the plan for it was to be roguelite. And it makes perfect sense. And it works very well. I wouldn't mind a little more variety in activities. Uh, from stage to stage, you have your races, your takedowns, uh, your time trials. Uh, I do appreciate that every once in a while, it just gives you a level to kill cops. Yay! I, it's just, it's nothing but cops. I don't have to feel guilty about decapitating anybody. Oh, oh, side note, that's a, that's the thing I can say in the quarries pre- uh, pros column. You can, you can do cop murder. All right. Well, there we go. It's always good when a video game lets you kill cops. 10 out of 10. Well, now, the, the problem I, that I have playing Road Redemption is that very often I will be lining up to go hit somebody else that I actually have to kill, and then I will see a cop out of the corner of my screen, and I'll immediately have to swerve over to address the real threat. <laughs> but uh, it is... and that It's ridiculous. Holy God, this game's ridiculous. I just... I just this past week got far enough along that you hit the rooftops and it gives you jump jets and a, and a harpoon gun <sighs> that I still haven't figured out the mechanics with, but actually works to harpoon. Like you could use it as a grapple. It's insane. That's that those aspects of it. Now it starts to reach a, a, a point where it becomes too many controls that I have to manage at once. Like, I have a hard enough time switching between my blunt weapon and my machete to do the, you know, knock their helmet off and then cut their head off for the double points. The jump jets, that's where it it starts to get. But I'll get used to it. I'll get there. I fucking love this game. So much fun. Really, really fun motorcycle racing game. So, yeah. All right. Anyway, Road Redemption's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear it's so good. It is very, very good. Oh, uh, you know what's good news as well? Mm-hmm. Video game industry unions are happening. Oh, like that? Yeah, we got more of them. We got more unions happening. Um, Once again, very, very clearly uh, inspired by all of the, the stuff going on with Raven Software's QA team. QA workers at Blizzard Albany, formerly known as Vicarious Visions, are asking uh, Activision Blizzard to recognise them as a union. Uh, The group, which is going to be called the Game Workers Alliance Albany, uh, announced their union push on Twitter. I'm going to read their statement, but it's the kind of thing we've heard from other QA teams that have been trying to unionize. QA is currently an undervalued discipline in the games and software industries. We strive to foster work environments where we are respected and compensated for our essential role in the development process. We, the QA testers of Blizzard Albany, are committed to fostering an open, diverse, and equitable workplace, We demand an environment where our skills, ideals, and democratic decisions are valued and respected. To that end, we have organised with the Communication Works of America to form our union. So yeah, uh, this new union has asked for voluntary recognition from from Blizzard, which... Seems likely. (laughs) We know how that went last time, but it's a step you gotta do. Uh Uh-huh. You can tell how little respect Activision Blizzard has for for, for unions in general, because I'm gonna read something from a Polygon story here. Activision Blizzard has not responded officially to the uh, request to form a union. In a statement to Polygon, an Activision Blizzard spokesperson did make a response. (laughs) Uh, So they didn't respond to the union, but they did give a a quote about it to Polygon, because of course they did, because they're not going to talk directly to the bloody union. Well, that would be acknowledging that, that they exist, and they can't do that. Yeah, yeah. 
blah, 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 Activision Blizzard's statement is our top priorities are employees, we respect them to do the thing they're legally allowed to do, we don't think they should do it, but we we will, rest, we'll, we, we can't stop them. That, I wish they'd said that. I wish they'd said we can't stop them. I wish it had been worded that way, but, uh... Yeah. God, no, that'd be wonderful. Could you could you imagine how emboldening that would be for employees in businesses all over the yeah. place if one of these motherfuckers slipped up and said we can't stop them? <laughs> I'm I mean, look, they, they, they respect the right that legally they they have to respect that they're trying. <laughs> We, we know a few things about what this union's pushing for. Uh, it wants fairer pay, improved healthcare benefits, and more transparency in addressing workplace issues. Uh, addressing crunch is another key demand, with staff asking for the establishment of reasonable protocols to address times when they're asked to work extended hours. Yeah, there's currently around 20 staff that are organising under this, uh, this, this banner, but... Yeah, it seems like we might have yet another union form underneath Activision Blizzard. Fucking, you really dug this ditch for yourself, Actablis. For for the industry. You yeah yeah you really did. You have really started something happening here. So yeah, hooray! More unions happening. Thank you. Thank yeah. There's not a lot more I could say that I haven't said already. Like yeah, but that's okay. You can say it again. You oh yeah. You're allowed. <laughs> this is what the industry deserves yep. like not not only do the workers obviously deserve fair treatment and and you know the means to achieve that via unionization but game publishers can kick and scream and whine and cry and complain about unionization all they want it's their fault it's entirely their fault yeah activision blizzard could have just treated workers with respect and dignity but it chose for years and years and years not to explicitly not to it chose to crunch them it chose to underpay them it chose to let abuse of all kinds run rampant at every level of that company that was a choice yeah that activision blizzard's leadership made and this is the consequence. I know that a lot of these executives aren't used to the idea of consequence, but this is what it is, and they're just going to have to fucking suck it up. Couldn't have put it better. So we have another fun story about CEOs at the top of companies. Uh, I'm assuming you're both aware of what happened with uh, with Unity this week. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Mr. 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 John Riccatello. Hard to miss. Yeah, do, do one of you want to want to summarize what happened here? Not it. Uh, I mean, I'll, I can give you the very brief cliff notes of this. Uh, I was honestly surprised it was not the subject of the of the episode this week. It was a, it was a toss up. Uh, it's just that I got so inundated with the BMW car seat mm -hmm. thing, which again, horrifying and yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so yes, John Riccatello, former EA CEO, now Unity CEO, still a dickhead, um, no matter what company he works for, uh, basically said that any game developer that isn't, um, you know, monetizing a video game as extremely as possible is a, and I quote, fucking idiot. Yeah. He just outright said that a whole bunch of game developers... Uh, the people his company has to have good relationships with are fucking yeah. idiots. He has since apologised for this. Yeah, yeah. But clearly doesn't mean it. Yeah, so um, I'll read his quote and then his, his quote-unquote walk back. It's a pitiful fucking attempt to walk back, and it's clear that he doesn't fucking retract what he says. It's a very small portion of the gaming industry that works that way, brackets uh, not doing excessive monetization. Uh, and some of these people are my favourite people in the world to fight with. They're, they're the most beautiful and pure, brilliant people. They're also some of the biggest fucking idiots. Uh, we'll, we'll zoom forward like 48 hours. He, he initially just claimed that the interview was clickbait and out of context. His apology was not for saying it, it was for his crude word choice, which I suspect means he wish he hadn't said the word fucking. Yep. He said that if he'd been smart in choosing his words, he would have said that uh, he is working to provide developers with tools so they can better understand what their players think, and it's up to them to act, or not, based on this feedback. 
that that's all he was trying to say when he said that people who don't monetize their games excessively are fucking idiots. All right. Well, here's 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 a tip. Here's a tip. Next time, next time, John, that you do something like this, the easier answer was to say, no, I was talking about a few very specific people and they know who they are. We love our small developers at Unity, regardless of how they choose to monetize their business. Like, this was not hard, John. Yeah. Yeah. You have media training, you dumb motherfucker. You know, I don't have media training. That's why I can say you're a dumb motherfucker and not care. Oh, oh, uh, let me tell you my story about John Riccatello in a minute um, and about him and media training. Um, but yeah, his, his fucking statement is like a lot of him explaining why actually you were wrong to interpret his statement that way and he didn't mean it really. I interviewed John Riccatello once um, at a Unity event in Amsterdam, I think it was, uh, years ago. And uh, basically I interviewed him about the fact that, um, hey, is it really good for you as a company that only the games, the worst Unity games have the Made With Unity logo at the front because they're, they're from the developers who haven't paid for a full license and do, do you think that, <laughs> you know, impacts how people view Unity as a, as a platform? Yeah, it's not a bad question at all. Yeah, I was quite happy with that interview, but the thing is, before he came to do the interview, I sat down at the table, there's a fucking folder with a picture of me and, like, a bunch of text I can't read up because it's upside down on the table across from me, and I'm like, oh, this is a fucking... You're trying to do a scare tactic on the journalist so they won't ask hard questions move. You've got the fucking dossier on the table before you walk in to go, oh yeah, no, I've read up. It's the I've read up on you dossier. <laughs> what industry do these sad little boys think they belong to? Yeah. And you know what? It didn't stop me asking him the hard question he didn't want to answer, but I, f I, f I, quite, I was quite happy with that, that interview. Pathetic. The slimy little fuck he was. Like this, that's like, <laughs> you know, I'm reminded of when... It was suggested Bobby Kotick wanted to buy Kotaku and a bunch of other blogs yeah. that were talking bad about him. I'm like, these incredibly wealthy, powerful men are so petty and so fucking small. Right. Just thin-skinned. It's, yeah. Yeah. So we got a couple of other very quick stories. You know how recently we were talking about the fact that um, Ubisoft's taking away a bunch of DLC for uh, a bunch of their games because they're turning off their servers? Uh, for them. Mm -hmm. Bioware has done the opposite in a move that's kind of nice to see. If you bought Mass Effect or Dragon Age through um, EA's own services and didn't buy DLC for them and have always been like, yeah, I wonder what the DLC's like, you used to have to buy that with something called Bioware points. They're getting rid of Bioware points, and rather than just cut access to the DLC, they're just like, nah, everyone gets the DLC free. Forever you can just download the DLC for free Because there's no longer a way to pay for it So fuck it, have it That's a perfectly respectable decision That I'm sure will engender them some goodwill Yeah, and that's the thing Like, It's not like a big step out of their way Particularly particularly considering for Mass Effect like They just released uh, the Legendary Edition Whatever they did that has all the DLC in it anyway But the fact is they could have not They could have not They could have just not And a lot of, you know, generally speaking I think these days the assumption is that they won't And so they did so, Alright, thank you for doing that Yeah, you only have to see fucking Ubisoft a couple of weeks ago To go, not every company does it So that's, that's a nice thing uh, And last... We have an update about Skate. You know how we talked about Skate last week and how people were told not to play it and then everyone realised they could go play it? Right. Yeah. Uh, so that story's evolved. Modders have already uh, added online multiplayer to, to this uh, beta after the news that the game is designed to be an online multiplayer game. And that's pretty clear from the, the beta build. It's a big open world environment. People are now playing the unreleased beta in just, like, full 100-player lobby uh, online multiplayer, and it's working great, and they're working on modding it even more. The modding community is trying to finish Skate 4 before the devs. If the multiplayer in the Skate beta works better than the multiplayer in the final release, they are going to have some fucking ants questions to answer, because, oh my god. It's genuinely fascinating. I'm... I'm watching this as an arms race right now, and I will update you as this continues. There are people trying to, like, replace the placeholder textures, the, the online multiplayer is working. People are, like, going, can we make Skate while we wait for Skate? You know what? <laughs> okay, if, if I were the developers, 
and this is going on because I, I mean, it's too late. Yeah, you can't put this back in the bottle now. It's not going back in the bottle. What you do is you say, look how great this game we made was even back then. It had all of the makings of being an incredible game. I mean... <laughs> Fucking own it. Own it and run with it. Yeah. Look, I honestly feel like it, they're not far off the point where they're gonna have to do that. And yep. respect, I, I'm fascinated to see how this is gonna go. People are playing this unfinished game just online with each other. And that's great. Amazing. <laughs> and that is the news for this week, I think. Oh I my think god, it was... It. It, wow. Like... Yeah. I did... I, I, don't feel bad or angry. I know, right? We had, what? like, a relatively fine news week. <laughs> what happened? Is everything okay? I don't know how to deal with this reality. All I can tell you is this is the reality we're in. We're here. Oh, shit. I don't know what to yeah. do with all of this bile and venom now. Where do <laughs> I put that? Well, maybe you put it into into listening to me tell you about where I do stuff on the internet. That sounds good. That seem appropriate. Well, well, screw you, comrade. I'm going to do it anyway. Tell us. Laura K. Buzz, pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. As little as a dollar a month. That's why I can do the thing I do. In like three three or four weeks, uh, i got a book coming out called Me and My Dysphoria Monster. It comes out on uh, the 18th of August. I'm really excited for that to come out. Early reviews are the highest rated of any book I've done so far. And that's really exciting. Yeah, Laura K. Buzz everywhere. Conrad, tell us what the fuck you're doing. Where are you? Why are all of my friends so mean to themselves? It just doesn't make sense. (laughs) You can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow my adorable cat, Potato Wand, One-Eyed Potato on Instagram. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com or audiobooks that I do at conradreads.com. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. Oh, that was going to be my guess. It wasn't going to be mine. It feels like a bit of a twist in the tail to me, a bit of a curveball. But uh, I... I guess I could share mine if you want. Uh, Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. Uh, I also stream. I haven't been doing it this week. It's too fucking hot. Uh, Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Um, upcoming live appearances, wrestling dates where you could come see me. Um, just did one this weekend, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, next confirmed date is August 6th in Leicester for Wrestling Resurgence. Uh, then August 20th, I have one in Preston unannounced yet. And then in Newcastle that evening at the Jubilee uh, Club uh, for avant-garde wrestling. On October 1st is Sovereign Pro Wrestling in Manchester, where I'll be in an eight-person elimination match that also features Kid Bandit and Simon Miller. Speaking of the latter, I will then be in Blackpool on October 8th for PCW, where I will have a one-on-one match with Simon Miller himself. Uh, Very exciting. I do expect other dates to appear between now and... um, well whenever Uh, but until then thank you all for listening and we will see you next time goodbye bye bye